Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. As we continue this morning, I think one of the ways that God shows his uh, faithfulness is just in the, the joy and gladness we get to experience in different things in life. Uh, the different small things, silly things, big things uh, that give us joy, that make us glad. Uh, so as we continue this morning, I'd love to take a second here uh, to have you reflect for just a moment. I would love to have you think of the last time or a recent time or the most recent one you can think of, a recent time that you felt truly glad. You say, in that moment, in that circumstance, I felt truly glad. It could be uh, something huge and massive. Uh, somebody last night was sharing about how glad they were when they realized how much, how many things got it orchestrated so that they could land in the home that they're in. Uh, I was glad uh, this weekend, uh, truly glad that my kids pick fantastic friends. That's such a gift as a parent. Yup, yup, that'd be you guys. Good job. Uh, I, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, one of our uh, little guys here at the church Little guys uh, gave me the biggest hug before he left. That is, that is a truly glad moment. Maybe it is a relationship that was healed and restored. When was the last time you were truly glad? Okay, hang on to that moment. We don't know a lot about the first 30 years of Jesus's life. Um, really not much beyond what we celebrate at Christmas. A lot of stuff about Jesus as a baby, and then not much between baby Jesus and 30-year-old Jesus, who is launching a ministry. And he launches this ministry by gathering a whole bunch of people together. He says, I would love to have you come follow me and learn from me. And so began this pattern of gathering and sending out. Gathering and sending out. And it's a pattern that we still follow today. We are gathered here and we are sent out from here, launched from here into the world around us to take uh, the presence and the message and the power of Christ with us. A phrase we have used uh, before in, at, at East Hills, used a number of times in the last 18 months or so, is missionary mindset. And what we mean by that is that we are launched into a world that is not always going to agree with us. In fact, the way American society has been moving over the last half a century or more, we find ourselves, particularly in the Pacific Northwest, in a location, in a community where Christianity is the minority. Uh, some statistics in uh, the Pacific Northwest say as few as 20 to 25% of people would be professing and practicing Christians. Uh, we are living in a world where uh, saying that you are a Christian does not necessarily come with some positive connotations. People are very suspicious based on what they have heard and experienced to Christianity. Now, that may feel relatively new in America. It's not that new, but we're starting to kind of wake up to the reality of it. But we have known people around the world, and there have been people throughout the centuries 
who have walked into that exact situation, far more dire or far more uh, stark of a contrast than our society even. Our partners in Bosnia-Herzegovina walk into that kind of society every day. And so church was sort of set up the way we do it today, was sort of set up and structured in a way that presumed Christianity was sort of the core of most people's lives. So if we're not living in that culture today, how do we engage well with the world around us? Well, it feels like a really good starting place would be to learn from the missionaries around us who are walking into those environments around the world all the time, uh, and to go back to the early church who absolutely walked into that kind of environment. The first time Jesus sent out some of his followers, he gathered a whole bunch of people and he picked 12 of them that they called the apostles and he sent them out. And he said, hey, uh, you're going on an adventure. Uh, don't take any money. Don't take any resources um, and, and just depend on other people. Oh, okay, so this is not a call that Jesus has put on my life at this point, I don't think. I'm either that or I'm doing a really good job of ignoring it, because that sounds really scary. Like, go with no resources, depend completely on other people for your safety and your food and all of those things. And yet he tells them all of this, and he sends them out. And then, among other things, he tells them this, and this sending out is in Matthew chapter 10. We'll start in reading together in verse 16. He says to them, look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. But beware, for you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers, but this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other, believer, other unbelievers about me. When you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time, for it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. And we will come back to that spirit of God in just a minute. A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child, and children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And all nations will hate you because you are my followers. But everyone who endures to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one town, flee to the next. I tell you the truth, the Son of Man will return before you have reached all the towns of Israel. Students are not greater than their teacher, and slaves are not greater than their master. Students are to be like their teacher, and slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household will be called by even worse names. But don't be afraid of those who threaten you, for the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed." And all that is secret will be made known to all. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Well, those are cheery marching orders. Now, this time, they are all sent out, the 12 of them, and they do all regather, right? That's the pattern. Gather, go out, gather again. And they gather, and they are sent out uh, later as part of a larger group, and, and they do this uh, gathering and sending out, doing ministry together. And they then follow Jesus together. Uh, it was a core part, this core 12, part of this huge crowd following Jesus around, right up until his 
death. A death that is enabled by one of the 12, actually, a guy named Judas, who betrayed Jesus. And after he realized what he had done, that he hadn't instigated the rebellion he was looking for, but had uh, actually condemned Jesus to death, uh, he killed himself. So now if you're doing the math, we're at 11. 11 remaining disciples. And the story, of course, does not end with the death of Jesus and his 11 remaining disciples because Jesus rose from the dead. And the 11 got to experience being taught by a risen Jesus, getting more instructions and being prepared to be launched out in the most significant way. And as he launched them out, Jesus said, receive the spirit of God in a way that is deeper and more meaningful than anything you have experienced before. And they experienced a lot. They've been part of healings. They've been part of uh, casting out demons. Like this is the ministry they're doing as Jesus sends them out. He says, okay, now I'm gonna send you out and you're gonna be the church. And so before you go, receive the spirit of God, God's presence and power in you, on you, surrounding you as you go out. So then they set out again and they said, look, there's this guy, Jesus, and he lived and he died and he rose from the dead and I have seen it. And I'm telling you, I, I just, I gotta tell you all about it. They got to go out and talk about victory over sin and death. They got to tell the good news of Jesus and they all lived happily ever after. Actually, that's not how that went. Uh, we read very early in church history that uh, James, not only one of the 12, but one of Jesus's three closest companions, is killed for the faith by the government who did not want him talking anymore. It wasn't just the 12. We read about uh, uh, another disciple of Jesus named Stephen who is stoned to death because he won't stop talking about this Jesus story he's been a part of and been changed by. Okay, so uh, after James's death, we're, we're counting down at this point. We're down to 10 of the apostles. So uh, according to church legend, uh, the rest of the 12, the other 10, uh, met their end this way. Uh, we'll just go in alphabetical order. Andrew was crucified. Bartholomew was either drowned or skinned. We're not sure which. Uh, apparently, one of the uh, nations that he went to evangelize was known for skinning people alive as a way to kill them. Uh, James, uh, he goes down in church history as James the Lesser, which I don't, I don't really like. Poor guy. Anyway, uh, James, the other one, uh, was crucified and dismembered and his body parts cast into the ocean. Uh, John died of old age in exile on the island of Patmos. Matthew uh, was stabbed by order of a king who didn't like the stuff Matthew was talking about. Peter was crucified. Uh, they threatened to crucify him as the legend goes and he refused to die in the same way that Jesus did. So he asked to be crucified upside down. Philip was hung. Simon the Zealot was either crucified or died of old age. Now, one of those things uh, sure sounds a lot easier than the other. Simon was known as Simon the Zealot, though. And Zealot meant that before he was ever following Jesus, he had signed up to be part of a group, the Zealots, who were so committed 
to seeing the Jewish people rise up and get out from under Roman control, that at some sort of pretty young adult age, he said, I want to sign up to die for my faith. And it is possible that that is what happened, that he was crucified. It is also possible that Simon, the one who had signed up as a young man to die for his faith, had to live out his days watching all of his brothers die instead. Thaddeus was killed by a firing squad of arrows, and Thomas was run through with a spear. Okay, good time for an altar call. So uh, who would like to follow Jesus? Aren't you glad this doesn't happen today? According to Open Doors World Watch report, Open Doors is an organization who uh, pays attention to persecution going on around the world today. And they put out a report every year on their findings and statistics. And these statistics are hard to come by by nature. Um, So there's some degree of uh, unknown here. But according to Open Doors World Watch report, in 2022, Over 5,600 Christians were killed for their faith. Over 4,500 detained and over 2,000 churches attacked around the world. That's 2022. So on average, if we do the math, in 2022, 15 people were killed for their Christian faith. 12 people were detained, arrested, imprisoned, and six churches were attacked every day. Statistically speaking, in the time that we are gathered here this morning, somebody somewhere in the world is going to die for their faith. Statistically speaking, every time we gather together in the time that we're here, somebody dies for their faith in Jesus. This was the reality that the first 12 disciples faced and many many people in our world still do. And Jesus had warned those 12 that this was going to happen, right? He, he said, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. This was, this was not a day at the beach. I'm sending you into dangerous territory where you are likely to be killed. Even before he sent out the 12, though, when he was first gathering his disciples, Matthew, one of those 12, who who shared uh, the account we read earlier, also shares with us some teachings of Jesus that he gave, uh, according to Matthew, at the outset of his gathering of people, gathering together and saying, here's what it's going to be like to be people who follow me. And these are likely teachings that he repeated a lot as people followed him around. And One, uh, we've been going through those teachings, this list called the Beatitudes that we find in Matthew chapter five. And the last one uh, on that list is this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those, congrats to those, happy are those, this says, who are persecuted. They belong to the kingdom of God kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is a place and a people where God's desires and directions come true, where God's desires and directions happen. And that feels really significant because when negative things happen to us, I think it is in human nature, or at least 
our American nature to go, okay, if this bad thing is happening, that is because something wrong has occurred. <laughs> and and if, if something bad is happening to me because of my faith, God, where did you go? Like, what happened? I said I was following you, and I thought I was signing up for a contract where you protect me and make my life go well. What happened? And Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. He expanded on it with this statement. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Congratulations to those who are insulted and lied about and persecuted because of their allegiance to Jesus. Why would he say congratulations? Well, he actually explains that in the very next verse. This is Matthew 5, 12. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And I think uh, sometimes we hear that these are words of Jesus and we go, okay, well, these must be words of uh, comfort. And, and we'll talk about that. As I, I sat with these words this week, they struck me as being at least potentially, inc potentially incredibly insensitive. Over 5,000 people died last year because of their faith in Jesus. And they're supposed to rejoice and be glad because of the reward their loved one gets. How could we possibly rejoice and be glad? Okay. Remember that thought from the beginning here? that last time or that recent time or that sometime you could think of when you were truly glad? I'm going to guess that for most of us, and I know this is the case for me, that moment of being truly glad had very, very little to do with having my life threatened. Right? Had, in, in fact, the things that make me glad tend to be whatever is on the opposite end of the spectrum from pain. Right? I, just, I would like to go to the other side of that spectrum. Thank you very much. And, and yet we're expected to rejoice and be glad in the insults and lied about and persecuted. Persecution is a word that feels like it has come up a lot in the last number of years. And I don't just mean the last couple, but maybe it's just based on, on my age and my experience, but it feels like it has seen a significant uptick in the 21st century that we talk about this idea of the persecuted church in America. And as we talked about earlier, the church is most certainly being sent out to the margins. We are not the center of society anymore. We're not the center of power structures anymore. And it appears uh, that uh, losing power feels a lot like persecution to some people. Government schools teach things that the Bible does not agree with. Secular companies support values that the Bible doesn't support. 
The red cup I get at Christmas time does not say Merry Christmas on it. Now, are these the same things as the persecution that people are facing around the world? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I want to be a little bit careful because it would be insensitive to compare being pushed to the margins to the persecution, the laying down of their lives, the threat of families being torn apart on a daily basis that the church around the world goes through. Now, could being pushed to the margins as the church be the precursor or the start of persecution that is to come? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is possible that 40, 60, 100 years from now, our descendants in the faith will look back on the first quarter of the 21st century and go, that's where things started to slip and led us to where we are today. That's, that's absolutely possible. For instance, churches used to be sacred spaces. Like whatever building you might egg and TP, you wouldn't do that to a church. <laughs> Not that long ago, some number of decades now we have a security team on Sunday mornings. I never thought we'd have to do that. The term pastor, so I hear, used to carry some positive connotations in culture and in communities. Now people hear I'm a pastor and they, uh, at worst, assume I'm a predator. At best, assume that I'm judgmental and there to preach at them. Are there workplaces and schools that a Christian walking into them feels like a sheep among wolves? Absolutely, for sure. And you may go to one of those places every day. When we find ourselves in the face of persecution, when we find ourselves in the face of pushback and criticism, because those are different things, I think there are a couple of key questions uh, that we need to ask ourselves. First is this, what is causing this? What is causing this? Now, this may feel like a really obvious question uh, because the person who is persecuting me is causing this. That feels very obvious. Not, not who, but what? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of their allegiance to Jesus. Those, blessed are those who are persecuted for the right actions and the right allegiances. We've talked about this before, but I'm of the opinion that too many people in our society today, too many Christians in the Western world, uh, are getting some criticism and pushback on, say, social media or something, and going, ah, persecution. I'm being persecuted for my faith. And the truth is, there is some of that happening. I'm of the opinion there are too many people claiming persecution when I just want to look at them and go, no, actually, you were rude. <laughs> you mocked, and you alienated, and you wanted to make people angry. Congratulations, they're angry. Like, I don't know how you expected something different to happen here. That's, that's not persecution. Peter, uh, the one who was crucified upside down, 
wrote a couple of letters to the church that we still have in the one we call 1 Peter chapter 3. He said this, starting verse 13. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Now, sometimes we hear this verse and we have used this to talk about how we need to have all of our logical arguments lined up so that if somebody questions our faith, we can walk them through logically and scientifically how our faith makes sense. Uh, this verse says, when someone asks you about your hope, like, like maybe you're gonna live in a world that doesn't have a lot of hope and the fact that you do is gonna stand out. When somebody asks you about your hope, be ready to explain what gives you hope. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. A, a good life in like good character and good relationships, not, not the good life for the American dream, okay? When they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that suffering is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. So, are you being persecuted because your actions, your decision to love everybody as Jesus loved everybody has made you some enemies? Because you're loving some people and they have enemies and therefore people are mad at you. How could you love them well, because I'm committed to love everyone as Jesus did. Has that gotten people angry at you? Good. Are you being excluded because the in crowd doesn't like how you take care of the other excluded people and the outsider? Well, good. Did you lose out on that promotion or because you, you refuse to, to cut corners and believe that the end justifies the means? Be glad. Are others hurt because you've been spending your time criticizing their choices and telling them how wrong they are and how right you are? Not so good. What is causing this pushback, this criticism, this sense of persecution? Your anger, your judgment, your love, your kindness, your allegiance to Jesus? This question matters because the answer defines what you are experiencing. And then the second question, I think this is the kind of the keystone question, whether the persecution is life-threatening or, or simply uncomfortable, we all have to answer the question, how will I respond? How will I respond. Now, you may notice that there uh, are some questions uh, that aren't on here, maybe some things that came to mind for you. 
Maybe they didn't come to mind at all. Some questions that we don't have to ask. They're intentionally not on this list. We, we don't have to ask the question, how do I make persecution happen? How do I create this? Which kind of sounds like a silly question in a vacuum, but I have heard people say in the American church in the last three, 10, 20 years, if you're not being persecuted, you're not really trying. Now, there may be some truth to that statement, but persecution is not a thing that we aim for. It is a thing that happens because of aiming for a couple of other things, namely righteousness and Jesus. That's why it's important to ask what's causing this. Uh, We don't have to uh, ask the question, uh, why isn't God taking care of me? Again, we, we go to this sense that, well, I gave my life to Jesus. Shouldn't he be protecting me? Blessed are those who are persecuted, Jesus says. And we don't need to ask the question, how bad is this really? Because I would like to submit to you that how we respond is the same whether we got a rude comment on social media or someone is literally threatening our lives. How we respond is the same. Before we break this down, uh, a story from the early church, uh, our our friend Peter, again. Uh, Peter and his friends uh, have been sent out Uh, We're now in the the midst of the early church. Uh, Jesus has not only risen from the dead, he has ascended into heaven. He has launched them out with the spirit of God and they know their marching orders. They are out there to see people healed, to see the broken restored, to tell people about the good news of Jesus, that there is forgiveness for sins, there is everlasting life. Uh, He lived, he died, he rose from the dead. I saw it, I've got to tell you all about it. They are on this mission and they are gathering up some people as they go on this mission. There are people being stirred up to go, hey, I'm not quite sure what's going on with y'all, but I want to be a part of that. Peter's preaching sermons like 3,000 people are going, yes, sign me up. Uh, and, And quite a movement is getting stirred up and started. And so the people who are currently in power are going, hmm, Actually, I don't like this very much. Uh, So the powerful Jewish people, the powerful Roman government is trying to shut down the apostles and say, hey, you can't talk about this Jesus guy anymore. And so they try to to arrest them and say, hey, stop it, please. And then the please doesn't work. They get a little more violent. Uh, and, And eventually, Peter and his friends are dragged in front of the high council. It's like the the Jewish Supreme Court. Uh, And uh, they're, they're thrown in front of the high council and the high council looks at them and goes, didn't we tell you to stop talking about that Jesus guy? And they're like, look, here's the thing. We're on a mission from Jesus. I almost said we're on a mission from God and I thought of the Blues Brothers and I got real distracted. Anyway, we are on a mission from Jesus. You're trying to give us a different mission. You want our mission to be to help you with your politics and your power. That's not the mission we're on. We're on a mission to tell other people about Jesus, to see the broken restored, to see people know that they are loved and forgiven. We're on that mission. What do you want us to do? We're not going to listen to you when we've been given a mission by Jesus to go and change the world. 
And they're so upset about this and their refusal to shut up about this Jesus guy that they go, fine, we're just going to kill you and end this once and for all. And a member of the high council, an older guy that apparently they all respected, stood up and went, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Let's just all take a deep breath. Here's the thing, guys. We have seen this before. Somebody comes along and claims to be the Messiah and their movement kind of gets started and people get kind of stirred up and excited. And then that person dies and they try to keep the movement going and, and eventually it just dies out, right? The leader is dead. The movement just filters out. It's not of God, it goes away. What you'll do if you kill these guys is you're just going to add fuel to their martyrdom fire and this thing is just gonna get bigger and bigger. So don't, don't fan the flames here, just, just let it go. Or, so either, this is not a thing, and we just, we just need to, to let them go. Or, let's, let's say that, that these guys here uh, are not crackpot crazy, and this guy really did rise from the dead, he really is a Messiah, and this really is of God, well, then you don't want to go against God, so just let them go. So either way, guys, it is gonna be better if you just let them go. And they decide that this is wise advice, and so uh, we're gonna pick it up there. You can find this whole story. This is the second half of Acts chapter five. We're gonna pick it up in uh, verse 40. It says, the others accepted his advice. So they called in the apostles and had them flogged. That is a little different than letting them go. But okay. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. The apostles, catch this, left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day, in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message, Jesus is the Messiah. They aren't stirring up trouble. That's not the aim anyway. They're preaching Jesus and then others are jealous. They're not trying to gain power or help anybody else gain power. They're simply telling the truth. So some things... I believe, from the words of Jesus, must define our response to persecution, to challenge, no matter how big or little the injustice we face is. The persecuted of Jesus should be peacemakers. Now, this is not from anything we've read this week. This is from the last couple of weeks we talked about. Jesus saying, blessed are the peacemakers. And I don't think it is insignificant that in this list of of beatitudes, of blessings uh, that Jesus uh, starts his ministry with to say, here's what it's gonna be like to be part of this thing, that being a peacemaker comes right before being persecuted. To say, hey, this is gonna have to be part of the deal. And we talked about how the biblical definition of peace is to be made whole. And so the peacemaker moves toward their enemy, moves to love, moves to forgive the people around them moves toward towards restoration of what is broken, that in as much as it is up to us, we pursue wholeness. As we said, peacemaking is the family business for God's family, even, or maybe especially so, in the midst of persecution. 
Now, we're not called to be peacekeepers. The peacekeeper takes the flogging in the direction and goes, okay, well, we've clearly upset some people. We do not want to do that anymore. So we are just gonna, maybe we'll go from house to house telling people about Jesus. But we're just gonna kind of keep it on the down low. We're not, we're not gonna do anything major public. We don't wanna ruffle any feathers. We're not, we're not called to be peacekeepers. At the same time, neither are we called to sow division, to seek retribution to pursue the shame of other people. I think so much of the stuff posted online by other brothers and sisters in Christ that makes me cringe. The reason it makes me cringe is because it feels like they are pursuing the shame of other people. I want to beat you down and make you feel ashamed. We are called to be peacemakers, which leads to the second needed response. The persecuted of Jesus should behave righteously. If righteousness is what has created this persecution for us, then persecution shouldn't stop us. Peter also said in chapter two, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example and you must follow in his steps. God has called you to act righteously, no matter the suffering. And in doing so, we share in the suffering of Christ, right? They, the apostles walked away rejoicing that they were counted worthy of suffering just as he had. Hey, Jesus was flogged and we got to be too. Whew. We follow in his steps, righteous living no matter the circumstances, even unto suffering. And in doing so, our own way of living becomes a testimony to Jesus. The persecuted of Jesus should also shine the light of Jesus. We read earlier these blessings, Matthew 5, the, the very next few verses talk about how we are called, we are sent out, launched to, to be salt and light in the world. And we'll talk more about that next week. But if the name of Jesus is what caused our persecution, the persecution should not stop our testimony in our words, in our actions, in our attitude. John, the one who died of old age, in exile, describe Jesus's life this way. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas, right? When we, when we gather in the darkest days of the year and, and we light a candle and we say, okay, the light of the world has come. I was thinking about that moment this week thinking about this verse. And when we pass the light through the room, simply tipping your candle, the accidental breath from your nose is sometimes all it takes to put out that candle and you gotta light it again and keep singing Silent Night. Light can be so fragile. And yet John says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot put it out, can't 
overcome it. That is the light that is coming to the world. Now, what is the darkness trying to extinguish? What is the darkness trying to stop? Well, we're told what God is trying to produce in our lives and in this world. This is Galatians chapter five, verses you may know is the fruit of the spirit. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. This is what that spirit of God that has been given to us is growing in our lives as we live into the presence and power of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no rule against these things. So again, if your love causes people to hate you, good. If your commitment to peacemaking causes pushback in your life, great. If your gentleness, when everybody else around you is angry and they just want you to be angry too, and you commit to gentleness and now their anger turns on you, rejoice, rejoice. Which is the last response I wanna mention that the persecuted of Jesus should rejoice, should take seriously Jesus's command to take joy in the persecution in the pushback, in the criticism you face. Be glad you were counted worthy. Shine Jesus's joy into the world. Remember this statement, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You aren't the first to be persecuted and you are not alone. No matter how lonely persecution may make you feel, the criticism, the pushback, the sheep among wolves, you are not alone. But why do we rejoice? It says, because great is your reward in heaven. Okay. One more thought exercise together this morning as we kind of wrap up. So if you fell asleep on me, wake up. We're going to do one more thing. As you picture heaven, bring some image of heaven to mind. And here's what I need you to do. I need you to do yourself and the kingdom of God a favor and shove out of your brain any pictures of fluffy white clouds and angel diapers and gilded harps, okay? This is not the heaven described in scripture. It's the heaven beautifully painted by artists who died a long time ago. Remember that feeling of total gladness, of being truly glad. For just a second, hold on to that feeling. And now imagine that feeling forever. Not interrupted by heartache an ongoing and eternal sense, the joy that comes with it. Maybe it's a sigh for you. Maybe it's the sense that everything is okay. Maybe it's just an overwhelming sense of joy. You are truly glad forever with no hurt or sadness to get in the way, with no peacemaking that needs to be done because everyone is made whole and at peace. You are experiencing forever a love in the depth of your soul that you can't even imagine right now. 
Okay. So you're facing criticism or pushback. So you're facing persecution. Here's how I think we're going to get through. And I think the key to our response. Don't underestimate your reward. Don't underestimate your reward. And I think this is where I get stuck. When I think about my life being threatened for Jesus, and I want to be somebody who, with a gun to my head, would say all the right things, and I'm, I'm not sure I can picture myself going all the way through, and I think the problem is that I underestimate my eternal reward. Because I still have fluffy clouds in my head. And while that sounds comfy, it's... There's not this like tangible reward that I can touch and lean into. Don't underestimate your reward. Eternal gladness. A love that overcomes everything. Everything and everyone made whole and at peace. A joy that never stops. Being in the presence of love itself forever. Great is your Reward. The reward for righteousness in this life may be painful. The reward for lining your life up with Jesus and giving your life to Him in this life may mean suffering. Take joy. Be glad. You have been counted worthy of suffering for the name. And great is your reward. So let me pray for us as we go to shine the light of Jesus as the worship team leads us and sing a song about God's faithfulness. Father God, we are grateful for your presence and your power. We are grateful for your wisdom and guidance. Father, we... We want to be grateful for whatever suffering you call us to do in the name of Jesus. Would you grow our gratitude? Would you increase our estimation of the reward in front of us? That the little sparks of joy and gladness we get in this life would be never ending. Would fill us to overflowing. Father, would you give us a joy and a gladness and a confidence in you and a confidence in our reward that spills out into the world around us that others might get to experience that light in the darkness, that joy, that gladness, that promise of, of eternal life and eternal joy in your presence. Father, thank you for the taste of that that we get now. Would you increase it as we lean more and more into you and your call in our lives? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. You can learn more or connect with us online at easthills.org.